Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So, um, again, once again, a very good morning to you all. I'm glad you're here. We're deep in a sermon series titled First Things First to coincide with the beginning of the year, um, help us sort our, our priority list, maybe make a better um, New Year's resolution list. How are those going for you, by the way? Now, um, as you've probably heard, I have had a pretty crazy January, some unexpected um, turns of events in life. Uh, so we've had some superstars in this congregation step up to help us out. So we've had some interesting messages from this uh, very stage that have talked about uh, priorities and how to get them straight, or how to review and, and maybe renew the way you live and the way you have a relationship with God. Talked about the woes of when we got, give God our leftovers in the form of worship and how we should really reprioritize that. Last week we talked about what we crave in our lives and what we should be actually craving in our lives. So this morning we're turning our attention to the issue of trust. Or maybe we say trust issues. Um, now, without realizing it, we put our trust in thousands of things every day and not even pay attention to it. When Reuben came over from the west side yesterday, he had a trust that that bridge was going to hold him up all the way to the other side. Shout out to the west side. You knew it was coming. But there's other things, too. You know, um, we could go on, on this list for a while. You know, I trusted that my alarm clock was going to wake me up this morning. Um, right now, you're all trusting that the pew you're sitting in is going to hold your weight and the weight of all those people around you. And all of a sudden, you looked around to see who was sitting next to you, right? Thousands of things. Some things get a little uncomfortable. Like if I start talking about how the trust that we put into the people who work in a restaurant and all the things that can go wrong with the food that we're, you know, so it just kind of a little, but we put our trust in those ideas. But now obviously the reason I brought you here this morning, the reason you're here is to talk about um, how we should put our trust in God. What do we, how do we do that? And uh, what happens when we put our trust in God? The short answer to that is that when we put our trust with God or in God, He guides us. He brings us to where He wants us to be. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So now um, I'm going to say this right now because I'm going to forget about this later. Um, I want you to take your bulletins home with you this morning. Um, too often we just kind of dump them in a basket when we walk out this door. And I think that's somewhat symbolic of our relationship with God. We say, you know what, I'm in here and I'm all in for this amount of time. And then when I walk out the door, I kind of toss it to the side and say, okay, what else are we going to do today? There's three different readings. Faith read a couple, I read one. They're very powerful readings that God wrote for you and to you. Sometimes, like I've said, when we read the Bible, we think it's for somebody else. It's not. It's for you. And he wrote that letter to you. So I'd like you to, at some point today, maybe this afternoon sometime, it's going to take you five minutes. I want you to take a look at those readings. I just want you to read through them and see what God says to you. If you're a family, maybe you gather together as a family and read them together. And you can use me as an excuse, because I know that can be awkward, because we don't do stuff like that, right? But maybe we could do that. Gather together and just read God's Word. Like I said, it's very powerful. And those readings are going to change and impact our lives. So let me get back to the topic. Let me get back to trusting God. How do we trust God? How do we put our trust in Him? And what happens when we do that? In order to do that, we need to do three things. The first thing I want to talk about is we need to be confident in God's promise. 
We need to have confidence in God's promise. So God says a lot of things about that. And I'm going to just stick to the uh, 1 John reading that we read, or the faith read for us earlier this morning. Uh, so 1 John 5.10, the first part of that says, Whoever believes in the Son of God has the truth that God told us. Okay, first thing I want you to see this morning is that first word, whoever, right? And we could change that to say everyone. Everyone who believes in the Son of God has the truth. So, like I said a minute ago, sometimes we read through these scriptures and we think, well, that's for somebody else a long time ago, then, but it's not for me. It is for you. I'm going to tell you again a couple more times this morning that God wrote these words for you and to you. So put your own name in these, in these verses and things like that. And then it says, okay, whoever what? Whoever believes, right? Whoever believes. Um, it could be more accurately translated as uh, whoever puts their trust in the Son of God. This is a unique word, that believe word in the, in the Greek language. It could be uh, whoever puts their trust in the Son of God. Okay, so what happens when anybody puts their trust in the Son of God? Because there's a, there's a big difference between believing something and putting your trust in something. I've told you before maybe about this, uh, this man named, the, they called him the Great Bandini. Um, the Great Bandini was a tightrope walker around the turn of the century. Um, and he did some pretty crazy things. He strung some lines across buildings in New York. One time he, strung, he put a string, uh, string between, I mean, over the Niagara Falls. Now, a thin part between uh, the United States and Canada. And he walked back and forth between the United States and Canada. And then he did some crazy things on that wire. He sat down on the tightrope. He sat down on this wire. He had one of those little camp stoves. And he made an omelet. And he ate the omelet. And then he walked over. The crowd was going crazy. And then he took a wheelbarrow, right? And he pushed the wheelbarrow from one side to the other. And they're thinking, this, this guy is out of his mind. How is this guy doing this thing? And then he took 100 pounds of potatoes, tossed them in the wheelbarrow, went from one side and back in the other. And they, they were just going nuts. And he said, okay, now I got a question for you. He said, who believes that uh, instead of these potatoes, I could put a person in here and push them to the other side? And everybody said, yeah, we believe you could do that. And he said, okay, who's going to get in the wheelbarrow? The difference between believing in something and trusting in something is huge. Are you going to put our trust and our faith in it? By the way, a person did get in that wheelbarrow. You know who it was? His mom got in the wheelbarrow and went to the other side. This is a true story. This really happened. So again, putting our trust in something rather than just believing in something. And so, you know, Scripture tells us that, that the demons believe in God. The demons believe in Jesus, but it doesn't change their existence. It doesn't change their lives. It doesn't change who they are. When we start putting our trust in God, it starts to change who we are. And so then that's what leads us to it. Uh, when, he, when we have, when we put our trust in him, we put our faith in him, then we get his promises, the things that he promises to us. And then we see exactly what God promised to us in verse 11. This is what God told us, right? So the verse before that says, has the truth that God told us. And this is what God told us. I mean, it lays it out so simply here. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. What God told us, what God promised us, or promises us, is eternal life with him. Right, And that's not something that we do, not something our, we do ourselves. It's something that God does for us. So we can't trust in human things. We can't trust in this, excuse me, in this earth. We can't trust in each other. We have to put our trust and our faith in God because he's the one that brings us to everlasting life. So putting our trust in other people. I need a volunteer. Oliver Bailey, you will do just fine. Would you come up here for a second, please? Thank you for volunteering. Give him a big round of applause. 
Have a seat. How you doing this morning, Oliver? But you're dressed very nicely this morning. You look, you look wonderful. Um, so in order to protect that, I'm going to um, protect you. Okay, actually, before I do that, have you seen me do this before? Yeah, I stab pencils through this. Do you believe I can do that? Do you trust me that I can do that? Can I do it over your head? Really? All right. In order to protect him, Lisa, I have this rain poncho because you never know. Because I'm not 100% successful. Shout out to Holly Cuso, by the way, for the haircut uh, poncho. You can call the church office if you'd like to make an appointment. So I am going to take these pencils and I'm going to stab them through this baggie of water. Please confirm that this is a baggie of water. It is a baggie of water. You believe it's a baggie of water, right? So you believe that you trust me that I can do this. Drum roll, please. Woo! Please confirm that that pencil is through the bag. Is it leaking? All right, should we do one more? I got like 70 of them up here. How long we got? Are the eggs done downstairs yet? Get your mark, get set, and go! We're good, right? So do you think Oliver actually trusts me? Do you think Oliver should actually trust Okay, maybe that's a whole different matter. Actually, here, let's show him that it's water. And we take the poncho off you. This is a really cool poncho. Where do you get these, man? Holly Cuso here. Hang on to that for a second. We're going to show them that it's actually water in here. This is not a trick. We're actually doing this. All right? You want a sip? That's good. Okay. All right. Thank you very much for your assistance, Oliver. I owe you a uh, trip to Burger King. Burger King, you and me. Yeah. Do it. So we put our trust in all kinds of things, right? And thank you, Oliver, for trusting me enough to do that. But, you know, there's always a risk that goes in, uh, along with that. You know, I've done that, what, three or four times, and that's the first time it's worked. Oh, no, I was kidding. <laughs> so we have to be able to do that. We have to, uh, we have to be confident in the promises that God gives us. And we have to put our trust in God and not the things that we see of this world and, and not always the people in our lives. So now, we, uh, that's the first thing we do. We're confident in God's promise. I want you to also look at it like this. I want you to be confident in God's plan. That's the second thing I want to look at. Confident in God's plan. Okay, so what is God's plan for us? What's that, what does he want for us and what does he want in our lives? If you look at John 5, verse 12, it says, Whoever has the Son has life. And we saw that just a minute ago. That's God's promise. He reveals his plan for our lives. And that is life. That is eternal life with him. That's his plan for us. Now, we get so caught up in our own plans and our own desires and our own things. You know, half the time when we're even sitting in rooms like this, we're like, oh, what, what are we doing next? Where do we got to go? What's, what's, what do I got? Do I have enough gas to get where we're going to? We, all those plans, all those things come down to us, right? And then, uh, you know, this world gets turned upside down and, and we get lost in our plans. We get lost in what's going on. And, and when our world gets turned upside down, instead of going closer to God or growing closer to God, we push him even farther away and we look for other things. Um, I've got another demonstration. I should have had Oliver do this one, too, about things getting turned upside down. So you saw me pour the water into this glass. I want to show you that it's still just, just water, right? So if I'm to, to turn this glass upside down, right, everything comes out of it. When our world gets turned upside down, a lot of times we just get flipped out, and the things just kind of dump out of our lives. We give up. 
But when we put our lives in Jesus' care, and I want this little contraption to be um, Jesus' care, and I want this cup of water to kind of represent who we are, you know, Jesus says, if you put your trust in me, that doesn't mean that your life isn't going to get turned upside down. That means that when it does get turned upside down, you're going to be okay. In fact, he tells us a lot of times that because you're a Christian, because you're following me, life is going to get turned upside down and things aren't going to go the way we want them to all the time. But that's not the time to turn away from him. That's not the time to stop trusting him. That's the time to put more trust in him, more faith, more confidence in him because he wants to see us through, right? Sometimes he says, I'm going to turn your life upside down on purpose so that you know that I'm the one in control, so that you know that you don't have control over these things, over the little things, so you'll know that you don't have control over the bigger things. And that's the eternal life that we're looking for in God and in Christ Jesus. I'm going to bring that little contraption back another time, right? So, the, okay, so we're talking about um, be confident in God's promise. Be confident in God's plan. The third thing I want to look at is to be confident in God's path. The path that God has for you. God says, when you put your trust in me, when you put your faith in me, I'm going to lead you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to bring you where I want you to be. And that's back with him. And so he gives us these these little notes along the way to give us that confidence, to tell us these things. Sometimes, you know, we think the Bible is this mysterious book that nobody can really understand that, you know, it's just kind of over there. And, you know, I don't really want to even open it because I'm not sure I'm going to understand. But a lot of it is very simple, right? We like to complicate things in our lives, but God says things very simply and very easily for us so that we can understand these bites. So understanding God's path, understanding his plans and his promises comes up in verse 13, John 5, 13. John says this, he says, I'm writing this letter to you who believe. Are you people who believe? Well, then he wrote this letter to you. Can I say that any more times? I write this letter to you who believe in the Son of God. I write so that you will know that you have eternal life now. If we're Christians and we're walking down the street and maybe one of our Christian friends or maybe non-Christian friends comes up and says, hey, do you know that you're going to heaven when you're done here on this earth. And sometimes we won't have the right answer because we don't want to be so boastful about it. Maybe, I'm not sure exactly, but sometimes we'll say, well, you know, I've done a lot of really good things in my life and, you know, I'm trying real hard. I think I think I got a real shot at this. But John says, I'm writing this so that you will know. So there's no doubt in your mind. So we don't put things on a scale. We don't say, oh, we, you know, it's like, would we do that with a judge here on earth? You know, if we've committed some kind of crime um, where people maybe, uh, maybe it wasn't even on purpose, that people got hurt, some people maybe even got killed. And we're on trial, right? We go up to the judge and the judge says, you've got anything to say for yourself? And you say, yeah, you know, back in the 80s, I was this Boy Scout director for a couple of weeks. That should count for something, right? And the judge is going to be like, that doesn't count for anything, man. And that's the same as our relationship with God, Right? God says, I'm doing this for you because you can't do it. So God emphatically wants you to be able to say an emphatic yes. When he says, do we know that we have eternal life? Do we know that we put our trust in him? Do we know that we believe in him? Then the answer to that is an absolute yes. And John says, I'm writing this letter to you so that you will know that. So there's no doubt in your mind. I write to you so you'll know that you have eternal life and you have it right now. 
And then in verse 14, this is, that's why I wanted you to bring this home and read this today because the chain is just so beautiful and so simply laid out. Look at verse 14. We can come to God not with no doubts, without a doubt. Now, it doesn't say that God's going to do everything you ask him to do. God, I'd really like the lottery numbers for the week if you wouldn't mind. Okay, so you know, it's not going to come down like that. God says, yeah, maybe you can even have those lottery numbers. Why do you think it's so small? I'm talking eternal life here. I'm talking about what's going to happen after this earth, after this life. After all those things that you're putting your trust in right now have decayed and left and have blown away. Now what? Now, if we put our trust and our faith in him, we have that eternal life and there's no doubt about it. Because of who he is. And he, he talked to that, that uh, government official and he said to the crowd, basically, are you not going to believe unless you have these signs, these miracles? Well, all right, here's some so that I'm proving who I am. So that you will believe, so that you will understand, so you will put your trust in me. And stop putting in trust in these things of the world. So that you will put our trust in him. So my question for you this morning is simply this. Have you done that? Have you emphatically, 100%, without a shadow of a doubt, put your trust in Christ Jesus? Because we know that's the only way to experience eternal life with God. And the other, you can flip it around. It's that easy. And sometimes maybe that's what holds us back. Right? If they say, oh, it sounds too good to be true. Well, then it's probably not true. Well, this one is. God says, I'm going to make this as simple as possible. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Full stop. Put your trust and your faith in him. And then the Bible is full of reminders to push us down that path. To give us that confidence that we talked about a minute ago. I talked about it with our fifth graders here a little bit. uh, Those communion cups. It looks like they picked up some of the stuff I was putting down. Very nicely done. We talked about how important communion is to all of us. To all of us, because it's a reminder. We we hear Jesus say those words. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Right? Communion is kind of like a down payment, or it's kind of a reminder of the things that God has done for us, Jesus has done for us, and things he's going to do for us in the future. We talked about how um, this is the Passover meal, right? Um, Some of the kids were talking about the blood over the door. By the way, I'm going to just give you a, a snapshot of some of the things we're going to be talking about during Lent, especially Monday, Thursday. Um, if you're not busy that night, you might want to crowd in here because I'm going to tell you some things that you might not have heard before about communion, about that experience, about what we're supposed to understand and what God is trying to teach us about this kind of stuff. It's all important. Again, you know, so this started with Moses um, back 1,500 years before Jesus. And they had been doing it on the same day, the same way, the same, all through these 1,500 years between Moses and Jesus. Now, what we see, and we call it the Last Supper, was really a Passover meal that Jesus was experiencing with his disciples. But Jesus changed the script a bunch of times. Because you know what? Because of Jesus, the script changed. And all of the things that they were doing from Moses on were leading up to that moment. That moment of the Last Supper there on that Thursday night, um, back in with, with his disciples. 
And all this, by the way, is written down in a Hebrew book called the Mishnah. Um, the Mishnah is uh, some kind of a companion to the Bible. They call it the Torah, kind of a, a companion. We might call it like a commentary today. But it really described a lot of the things that were going on. And it really described um, how the Passover, how the Seder meal was supposed to take place. Um, the Seder meal, the word Seder literally means an order. So this is the order of how that Passover meal, how, that is, how that's supposed to be taken place. Um, there's bread, there's cups of wine to be shared throughout the meal. Um, there's three pieces of bread um, that looks a lot like this. This is uh, it's called matzah bread. Um, Holly looked all over Green Bay to find some for me. She couldn't find it, so I made this last night. Please hold your applause till the end of the whole thing, right? This matzah bread. So, and this matzah bread is um, in this thing called uh, a unity bag, and I think Naya drew a picture of that. Somebody drew a picture of the of this unity bag. Now, this unity bag has three sections to it. Um, there's a top, middle, and a bottom. And for the longest time, the Hebrew people were looking for an answer. It's even in the Mishnah. Why are there three sections to this, to this unity bag? And they kind of went back and they said, well, it has to do with different levels of people, basically. Priests, common people, things like that. But then when Jesus came along, we see that it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That that's a, it's a trinity. It's a three things in one. So now, in the, during the Passover meal... The Last Supper that Jesus is having with his disciples. I've already got this out of here. But it says that Jesus took bread, right? And he reached into the unity bag and he took it out of the middle section of the unity bag. How do we know that? Because this is all written down in the Mishnah. And we look at what the gospel writers said and we can follow it right along. We can know exactly where Jesus was in the Seder meal or in the Passover meal. So here's the thing. This middle piece of bread, this, the symbolism here is almost mind-blowing. Okay, And I, again, I'm going to go into this a little bit more on Monday, Thursday. But, um, so the, he takes out this middle piece of bread, and, and he breaks it. I don't know how well this will break. Not bad. So he breaks it. So that now half of this is wrapped in a white linen and then hidden away in the house for later on. Then at the end of the Seder meal, or at the end of the proper, um, the kids in the house go out and they, they look for the afikomen. Uh, afikomen. Um, now, if you, if you know Hebrew, now this is a word that's in the Mishnah, by the way. If you know Hebrew, you know that the word afikomen cannot be Hebrew. It's just not the Hebrew word. It's one that they borrowed from the Greek. Uh, in, in Greek, it means um, he who returns, or he who comes back later. So now Jesus is the one saying, I'm the one who's going to be coming back later. And he doesn't wrap the afikomen, he doesn't wrap it in a white linen, he hands it to his disciples, and the disciples got to be thinking, wait a second, you're supposed to wrap that up and we're supposed to go look for it later. The host is supposed to go hide it, but Jesus says, here it is. And he hands out the bread to them, he says, do this in remembrance of me. He says that this body, this is my body given for you. This is no longer the afikomen, right? This is my body now given for you. He passes it out to his disciples and they, they go back. And the afikomen again is the, the one who comes back. And the Seder meal isn't complete until the kids find that afikomen that's wrapped in a white linen and hid somewhere in the house. It isn't complete until the kids find that. They come back and we all sit back down again and we all share, we all share pieces of this. And then after that, we don't eat anything else because we want this to be the last part of that Passover meal, that Seder meal. So Jesus passes that out. Again, changes the script completely, 100%. Now, um, it's important um, for Jesus to, or for us to understand that Jesus is saying, um, I'm coming back, right? I'm coming back. I'm not going to leave you, and I'm not going to stay gone. 
But before um, we go any further, I want to also talk about the cups of wine. There are four cups of wine um, in the Seder meal. And again, by looking at what the disciples wrote and looking at the Mishnah, we understand when Jesus took the cup, it was the third cup, and it's called the cup of redemption. The cup that we are to remind us that we are redeemed. These four cups, by the way, are based on the four things that God told Moses. The third thing he said is, I will redeem you. So Jesus takes the third cup, and again, he changes the script. He says, this cup is the New Testament, is the new covenant, is the new deal in my blood, which has been shed for you and for all people. And he said, for the forgiveness of sins. And he said, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. What are we going to remember about him? Are we going to remember the miracles he did for us to prove that he was the Messiah? Are we going to remember the healings that he did? Are we going to remember uh, his power over nature? Are we going to remember how God protected his people coming out of Egypt? Are we going to remember the fact that he is coming back? Right. So Jesus passes that cup of redemption around. And then there's a fourth cup. It's called the fourth cup. is the cup of acceptance. That's the cup that Jesus said, I'm not drinking out of that fourth cup until I come back and the Seder is complete. He says, but I will come back. I am coming back. I want to show you that verse about that redemption here before I go any further. Ephesians 1.7 says this, In Christ, through his blood, we have redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. What does he say about that? Right? He says, I have, I'm, I'm redeeming you and I am forgiving your sins. This cup is the third cup, the cup of redemption. If we can get that verse up there, that would be great, Jared. Uh, Ephesians 1.7. In Christ and through his blood, we have redemption. The forgiveness of our sins in accordance with the riches of his grace. That's what it's all about. That's what that cup of redemption is all about. Again, you can't make this stuff up. It's just unbelievable how all this lines up and Jesus puts it all together and ties it together with a nice bow at the end. And he says, oh, by the way, that Afikoman that's supposed to be coming back is coming back. Because he says this uh, three times in, the, in John 14. He says that this, that he's coming back. He says, after I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you there myself. I'm coming back to get you, and I'm going to bring you to myself. I'm coming back. Verse 18, when I go, you will not be left all alone. I will come back to you. I, Afi Komen, I am coming back to you. Verse 28, you heard me say to you, I am leaving, but what? I will come back to you. Right? This is not done. It's not over with yet. Because we're still waiting for Afi Komen. We're still waiting for this thing to be complete. And Jesus says, I'm waiting to drink that cup of acceptance until this whole thing is done. And it's not going to be done until I return for my people. We can trust him to do what he says. We can trust him completely without any shadow of a doubt. I know sometimes it's hard because the world doesn't look like we want it to. But God says, you know, I'm not talking about this world. I'm talking about the next world. This world's going to be a mess because it's us people in here and doing these things to each other. Yeah, it's going to be a mess. It's going to look not like the way we want it to all the time. But God says, think bigger than that. Follow the path that I'm going to guide you on, that I'm going to bring you to myself, and that's eternal life. Trust him. Proverbs 3, 5 says it like this. Trust the Lord with all your heart. You know, we've probably heard that a dozen times, but with all your heart, if we're trusting him with all our heart, there's not room in our heart to trust anything else. Trust God with all your heart 
Lean not on your own understanding. I want to ask you one more time, and I want to use this verse. Are we trusting God with all of our heart? Are we just kind of sticking our big toe in to see how the water feels? Are we going to take those bulletins home at the end of the day and say, you know what, I want to get more of this in my life? Are we going to toss them aside and say, you know what, Ah, I've got enough? Are we trusting God with all of our heart, or are we leaning on our own understanding? Would you please stand with me?